Welcome to another episode of Talking Upstream, literally my favorite show that comes out on Sundays, especially now that The Sopranos is finally canceled. Uh, <laughs> have you caught up with that show yet? It is getting pretty heated. Uh, hmm. it's, getting, it's getting pretty good. Check it out. Uh, anyway, uh, if you do know us, welcome back. If you don't know us, we are some nobodies. My name is Zach, and this over here, oh, you're on the other side. Uh, this Aww. over here, this is Dylan. Uh, we, like I said, are some nobodies. We're content creators. Uh, we're, we're media makers uh sometimes we're ground shakers especially if i'm on the second floor of something uh but anyway what we do is we find some of our favorite creators and we sit down and have a quick chat with them we find out why they do what they do how they do what they do uh how we can get better and then hopefully uh we pitch an idea to them and <laughs> they like one of the two and then we work on something together uh and we've had uh, a lot of really interesting people on here we've had uh you know the beautiful jess paul who makes uh awesome stuff that you can wear and also watch uh she's got a lot of great friends out there uh we met the guy who created pixels uh we oh, met yeah. a lot of interesting people uh but we haven't met anyone that has the credentials of this person by being somebody that like is in the same avenue of what we do, you know, making weird little shorts, making podcasts, making cool, interesting movies, uh, delving into the supernatural. Uh, so I'm very, very excited about this week. And I'm going to give Dylan Terry the chance to <laughs> bring up our guest of the week, please. Yeah. So uh, this week we're going to be joined by Kamika Hartford, uh, actress, producer known for the gray area and a few other projects. Uh, welcome. Hello. Hey there. <laughs> good, to, good to talk with you guys. So first of all, and don't feel bad, this happens all the time. It's Kamika. I should have Dylan. asked before the show. Usually I'm Dylan. better about that. No worries. It's a, it's a common thing. Um, most people just call me Emika, which is totally hmm. fine. All right. All right. Well, Kamika, we've seen a bunch of stuff that you've been in, um, but do you want to let people know who might not know you uh, what the thing you're most proud of that you've been a part of? Oh, um, well, I started out as a theater actor, got to be a Shakespearean actor, tour around. Um, I had taken a break because I wasn't really fulfilled. And I saw my awesome, amazing friends do like just amazing work. And I was inspired by them, but not as interested in auditioning anymore. And I kind of didn't know what that meant for me because I, you know, was a theater kid. I was always, that's who I was. And getting to work with Kristen Linklater and have her have her magic Linklater hand on my stomach as I learned to project to the bathroom. Like, you know, it felt like just a wonderful life for me. And I got to my first show kind of doing other stuff, like helping my friends with their videos, writing stuff, um, friends would, and this happened even in college, people would come like, uh, this play is the thing I gotta do. I need the, the uh, I'm like, you don't have a second act, bro. <laughs> and so I would help out. <laughs> And I kind of didn't realize how much of myself was overjoyed by this. So there's a director in the Bay Area, uh, Florencia Manaville, and she'd done this series, uh, this web series called Dyke Central. And, it, and it's about gay and lesbian life in the Bay Area. It's, it's very, um, 
I'd say slice of life, trending towards like comedy, dramedy, um, really adorable, beautiful music by people in the DJ Lady Ryan, just amazing. And I did one of the, um, the kind of guest star characters and got to kind of co-produce and do other stuff. And while I didn't do any writing for that show, it just made me realize where my home was. So I'd have to just say it was Dyke Central, which is actually on Amazon and Lesflix. And it's just a fun show. Um, I really, I really treasured that time in getting to kind of see not having to be on a big set where I'm nervous, but on a little set where I can have coffee with people. She's like, oh, wow, you travel and do this. And I'm like, yeah, I don't want to be in front of the camera anymore. So that's my, my long rambling writer story of how I got here and why it took me so goddamn long. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I, I'm hoping that, you know, my journey is very, very long and I'm hoping that uh, we get to where you are fairly soon, but we're okay with the journey. Uh, now, the, the first thing that I could find that you were a part of was the amazing Nash Bridges. Uh, now, Nurse oh, Becky, God. right? God. That's you. Yeah, no, that's, I got to be in a scene with Press Williams. He was so kind. Um, yeah. Um, I got to play his sister, actually. After, oh my God, that was how many millions of years ago. No, I'm literally like seeing it in my head now, like, oh my God, that's, that's you too, bitch. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, that was, again, the, at a point where I was kind of realizing and seeing real actors like him, like, who loved it, who lived for it, and realizing I wasn't, that I wasn't that, you know, that I was related, I, again, unintended, but I wasn't. So, wow, I forgot about that. <laughs> I know, and I saw. I was like, "Wait, this is Nurse Becky." Okay, I'm very interested now. Uh, <laughs> now, you you do a lot of things, though. Obviously, you write, you produce. Uh, you know, Nurse Becky, you're a great actor as well. Uh, what is your favorite part of any of this? Like, some people like putting it together, the producing part. Some people like creating it. You know, some people just like taking control of the characters. What would you say is your favorite part of creating something? Well, I'm not really an actor. I'm someone that, you know, I think I'm, I'm an actor the way someone like Herzog is an actor to where it's like, yeah, when it's a really fun, cool, weird thing. But, you know, he, that's not his life. Um, and it's, again, a thing I do very, very rarely. And producing is really only a thing I've done when someone I know who's just fucking awesome is trying to make their passion project, their film, whatever it is, and it's amazing and, and awesome. And I see that I can kind of step in and cover a few different bases for them. That's kind of how it's evolved, you know? So I'm, I'm not really someone that like looks for work as a producer. I, I get that called girl, we need you, you know? And so, and sometimes it's just me helping you write a scene and they're like, you want credit? I'm like, no, I don't. I, what you're doing is a young adult thing. I don't want people thinking I can write young adult because I can't. What I can do is help people in different genres with edits and stuff, just, you know, like, so there's a lot of things that I sometimes help with that I don't necessarily want my name on because if you come to me for young adult content, I, I got nothing, <laughs> you know? So um, I have to say that the most fulfilling part has been one, being a ghostwriter, helping other people succeed in their um, various projects and, finally getting the opportunities to get to pitch mine like this last year was the first year i got to pitch to like a studio like paramount 
and I, I didn't have anything that they wanted, but it was such a cool thing to where we still can communicate and they're waiting. They're like, hey, when you have a thing that fits X, Y, and Z, we really want to talk about it. Dudes, guess what? The other day I came up with a concept and I'm like, ooh, I like it. I kind of, you know, let it sit for a second. Then it was still there the next day. So I wrote a fucking outline. <laughs> Love seeing how it breaks apart. And I'm like, okay, I'm not committed to writing this. But I started, you know, when you start marking out scenes and I'm like, oh, I'm going to start writing scenes soon. And I realized it's exactly what they were asking for. So I have to say that's the fulfilling part is finding when your little gems fit places and, you know, re realizing by the time it's done, they might not need that. Anymore. But it's kind of like connections like that, like people that meet you, love what you're up to. You stay in touch with them and you're not trying to push them with everything you have. You're, you're like, going, okay, you need that. And you know, when you have that, knock on that, that door. And they trust you because you don't come bothering them every time you finish something. <laughs> <laughs> so I just started kind of stepping into being that person. And um, yeah, it's really exciting. In many ways, I'm really at the beginning of my career. Like I, I haven't sold a feature yet. Um, I got really close a few times, but you know, that just hasn't happened. So most of what I've written, if you can see, is really short form content, webs, the, the gray area, four part web series. Mm -hmm. um, the first, I, I wrote a horror anthology and got enough money to, to make the first episode that's Bango. And that's in, um, oh, that's actually a screen in San Jose this coming Friday that I got to go to. Nice. Yeah, I was about to, I was about to ask about Bango. That was uh, your, your first, you know, writing. <laughs> schedule yeah oh right i gotta be there okay sorry. <laughs> i'm so organized my goodness i can't i think i'm checking this long <laughs> i'm so organized <laughs> that's that's okay it's it, it's good to have too much stuff going on uh trust me that's the best way for me to work <laughs> uh but bango which is a really cool short and it definitely zigged when i thought it was going to zag uh and <laughs> you and you wrote that um and, and that's a very interesting and you said it was kind of like the you said it was like a pilot of of, of a series you were working on i had come up with this series called hinterland zoo because it would be a really low budget basically one location for because it's like one block in this creepy california suburb which is all of them called hinterland zoo and it's just a very you know that kind of basic um condo looking suburban thin walled palace like couldn't possibly be haunted and it's so it's such a fucking nightmare so i came up with the concept because i had a director friend at the time who had a few backers who were interested in like lower budget anthologies with high concept value um a whole bunch of sh crap happened and they ended up not being able to do it but i'd written it out and then um got uh, someone else sponsored us shooting just the first episode. So that's what Bango is. Um, and it was definitely fun. And I enjoyed being able to kind of have creative control over picking out, you know, the environment. So it, it, when you when you look at it, it looks like any California suburb, like that's the point of it. So the series was supposed to go into the horrors of the suburb because most people think about crime as happening in the inner cities, urban, and we know what that's code for. The truth is 50% of crime happens in the suburbs, like 50%. It's not a safe place, the same. So that was a low budget concept and it was all about um, really true crime stuff. I had either pulled from the internet, um, 
or just things like the Samantha character, uh, that whole first story. That's actually only half of the first story, but that whole element actually came to me from um, some of the comments men were throwing my way on the internet, which are always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like how, you know, like women need to be submissive. That's what you're made for. I'm like, well, if that was true, why would you, you wouldn't have to tell me. It would be natural. You know, and the, the fact that you need it so badly, you have to ask yourself this, like, what, what is going on there? And, you know, like, we're 51% of the population. How does that even work then? Like, that's, there wouldn't be a net, like, it's, it, it, the math isn't mathing. And I thought about, like, wow, they don't see how unnatural this is because they see women as, like, this other weird creature that isn't a person. It's like, no, we sweat and bleed and shit and all of that. Like, it's not whatever you thought of. So they, they think they're, you're this unique thing that doesn't poop that's supposed to be kind of my muse and help me and be my kind of crutch. And I started thinking, that's interesting. Um, sometimes I have conversations with people who are insane because I find it in- intriguing the ways that they've come about to their specific insanity. And I thought, wow, what would you have to be as a full-grown human being to really see yourself as subservient to another and to be into it? <gasps> you have to be batshit crazy. <laughs> because she doesn't see herself as oppressed. She's a, she's a submissive wife. She doesn't think that she's a sociopath because no one has ever told her she's cute and light-skinned and sweet. And so she there's she's just assumed to, to, to be always good. And she always has the int- int- intentions to be this submissive person. She doesn't have any issue with the cage that she's in. It fits her sense of reality. So she doesn't see any difference between killing the neighbor's dog when it barks to keep her husband up at night. She doesn't see any difference between doing that and killing someone who was offending her or threatening their marriage because God wants this. At no point, actually in the in the um, written version, it ends with her burying a neighbor in the backyard whose wife Aaron was having an affair with and he comes and tells her. And instead of being mad at Aaron, yeah, she killed, and then she buries him right where she grows vegetables that she feeds to Aaron. <laughs> so it, 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 the, the, the actual one that's happened is way sicker than what y'all saw. <laughs> yeah, I was watching it, and I was like, oh, this is interesting. Like someone who is just... Yeah, someone who's so yeah, they're so so into their husband, and they're just so into him. But then once, you know, uh, once he passes out, I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Yeah on here yeah and realize that he looks like the creep because he in some ways what he's doing is creepy mm-hmm. he's not happy in his marriage for and i don't know why how could that be mm-hmm. um married to a sociopath how could you be happy but instead of dealing with it his way is well how about have my wife who's not gay have a gay experience like i'm going to force this on her and she's not someone who would say no to like and it's not that he's some evil rapey guy. He's really just kind of more lost. Like he's been sold this bag of goods that he's supposed to be this king. And just, and it just, and it's like, he's not really happy because he doesn't really have an equal. And in the beautiful, sexy Chris character, she's ballsy. She's an equal. She's not going to just play along. She's like, I'm not a unicorn. Y'all need some help. That's why he's happy. 
to her because she's a grown woman who knows her mind and inside he probably feels that's right but he's been so no you need this wife that does this and looks like this and doesn't dress like this and he's played along and he's miserable and in no way shape or form does he realize that the cage that they're putting over sam is is around him too because he has to keep it there so they're both trapped in this weird what I think of as um, the most toxic monogamous marriage concept ever, which is seen as how it's supposed to go. And the only reason it works is because the person who is the submissive caretaker wants to. And the only kind of person who would really, truly, truly do more work, give more care, and truly see themselves as submissive, as secondary, is insane. Thanks for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> no, I love, okay, some some yeah. quick in, some quick insider talk though. When Aaron wakes up, what does he uh, think happens? Oh, see, that's a good story. So in the in the full version, because um, you only we only shot half of it, um, mm -hmm. so you got to see the first like the second story is when you find out about the neighbor and you realize that he's used to since they've been together. Sometimes waking up after drinking too much. And that's been a constant since college. And it's a thing he's accepted because he does drink to pass out because he's not really happy. And, mm -hmm. and oh, and in that flashback, we also find out this, this isn't in Bango, but um, that he, when she, she says that she made sure he got into the right college, there's a scene where like she's going through his, his mail and throwing out any schools that she hasn't got. <laughs> so you, yeah. she's been doing this since they were at church together at 14 and she was told that's your husband you guys kissed you have to go with and so she is organized there and because he's so used to that's what you as a man are supposed to want he's gone along with it he hasn't really liked it and we don't like him for it but he's not evil she's actually a psycho <laughs> <laughs> oh and you find out that like the neighbor who she ends up burying in the in the garden it's not the first person that's killed. <laughs> so, this, this, so this, like, tons of bodies and has no concept that that's why they don't catch her. She doesn't think she doesn't feel guilty. She does, thinks this is what people do. Does she use the hand on him or herself? <laughs> yeah, she does all kinds of stuff to him. Right. And that's what I'm <laughs> finding out like. He'll wake up with bruises like fucking Rosemary's baby and shit. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Dude, the full version is bananas. It goes fucking Clive Barker bananas. No, I hope, oh. I hope, I, yeah, I hope I get to see the rest of that soon because that was like, at one point, I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I like what they're doing here with this, you know, with the main character. And then I'm like, oh, okay, this is really interesting. This is right up our alley. <laughs> Uh, now, if we can hop over to the gray area for a second, that's uh, the, the next thing that we saw you in. And um, we watched the first two episodes, and this seems like like an Ally McBeal kind of thing that also has a splash of supernatural to it. Mm -hmm. uh, we explain quickly the concept of uh, of gray area. I think you just did. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. I description that's fucking hilarious. Um, no, I, yeah, I love it. It's such a it's such a weird, quirky show journey of this uh, attorney who encounters what may or may not be a supernatural being remember it's all a gray area just like mm -hmm. law 
guilty who's innocent. And it sets her off on this journey that might be a nervous breakdown or might be happening, can't tell. And she ends up realizing that she's working for, as a prosecuting attorney, dark forces. And if she hands herself over to this concept of this Christian God, who is a very jealous God, um, she's doing the same thing. So either she's crazy and just thinks the people that she's sending to jail are being devoured by demons, or she's crazy, <laughs> or it's actually happening. And then it's like, well, then what is justice? And, and if we're just pawns of an oppressive force that is okay punishing us for wanting knowledge, then what are we really in service to if we are a, a prosecuting attorney? If we are a police officer, what are we in service to? So that's the whole concept. No, I yeah, I thought that was yeah. really really interesting, and it was it was the second episode was when that 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 jerk white dude I I don't even know that guy's name uh, the, the the guy that's like just sitting in the thing and he's like tapping his finger and I'm like God I hope something bad happens to this dude and then <laughs> and then, yeah then you see the shoe and I'm like oh I wonder if like the cops gonna slip on the shoe or just something but then like, you popped up like your your character popped up without the shoes on and your feet are on the desk I'm like okay this is just really really cool um now what like the the, the main like precipice for that was just the gray area of law mixed with religion or was it like the idea that church and state shouldn't be together or well First off, in the States, they are. We're seeing this well, across the nation that they are incredibly linked. And how insane is that? So yeah, that's really a lot of this. Um, if, if you want. Um, so episode three is in festivals right now. It was just, um, yeah, I think that we just got accepted to the last one. So now I can send it to you if you want to see the third episode. And then the, the yeah. fourth one, my director friend, another awesome collaborator, Torian, um, is doing the piece. We've already shot it a while back. He's in Korea, so we have to kind of, you know, deal with time change. But he's finishing that up right now because that's kind of the period on it. It was always supposed to be, you know, a very short web concept. Um, I did write it out once as a film and once as a series. But I just had so many other concepts that became more vital to me that I felt this was the best way to end it in that character. Um, because I just have ones that like, like the one I want to pitch and that, that are just so much more like passionate. And I feel like I kind of finished that story. But if, if you want, I can say, send you the, the next oh, yeah. episode. You find out like how she behaves in this other new work, like what, you know, like what, what that looks like for this character that was so high in, in my yeah, hundred percent. I I watched it uh, a couple weeks ago when you first sent me episode one, and then I rewatched it again yesterday. And my partner was watching it over my shoulder, and she's like, "What is? What are you watching?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's the gray area. You don't know what this is yet." And she's like, she starts like searching it on her phone. She's like, "What? What service is on? I, I want to watch this." And I'm like, "Hi, I'll I'll, just, I'll send you a link. Hang on a second. Oh, uh, yeah, but Paraflix. Yeah, yeah, yeah." Paraflix, that's where you can see it. It is such an interesting, cool show. And, you know, Dylan and I, we, we write a lot of weird stuff. And obviously a lot of it is uh, supernatural just because we're, we're interested in, you know, merging concepts. So when we took all of the things that, that you sent and while doing research on everything, Kamika, it's like, 
wow, this is exactly yeah. uh, the writer that we're trying to be, which is so great. Um, and then you also, you know, you, you still do some acting, though. You do voice acting. Uh, you yeah. are currently on a podcast called Domesticated, which, you know, I sent that to Dylan right away. I was like, yo, this is exactly, mm -hmm. you know, it's the kind of thing that we do, which is, you know, fictional scripted uh, podcasts. Um, will you talk about this show real fast? Yeah, so this is a Simeon C. Peters show. She's an amazing director, writer, um, and just activist. She's brilliant, and she has a film in development with um, Warner Brothers right now, um, and is a visionary in Afrofuturism. And she had this concept a few years ago. And when we had met, she'd said, hey, you would actually get this. Like, I would trust you to voice this. Um, so I was very flattered. Uh, she knows that I'm not like an actor, actor, but she also knows that that like it has to be kind of down my alley for me to take time out of the writing stuff, the pitching. You know, it takes up so much time. And I read it. I was like, oh my god, I knew you were brilliant, but wow, wow. Um, essentially, it views it's science fiction where, of, of course, the aliens have landed, and what I thought was amazing was that she took our behavior, how we farm animals, how we keep them and how we eat them and put it out there as this is how they are keeping us without ever really saying it. And as you look at the dehumanization, you realize like there's so many other ways to do this. We don't have to make it the cruel thing we are doing. We could literally go to cultivated lands and hunting, way less cruelty. We don't have to be monsters. We are choosing to be monsters. And I was like, wow, that's, it makes us, makes me, me also see how we like to have pets and so we'll get them. And then people will just toss them out and they're just left to breed and overbreed. And then we shovel them into death chambers. Like, when you look at how humans are interacting with the animals on our, our planet, and I'm not a vegan or vegetarian, I eat meat, so it's a thing that I need to actually have, I have skin in that. Like, I can choose how I deal with my proteins. Like, it doesn't have to be this horrible nightmare. Um, so it really just called into accountability. I just, and I love that. That's the cool thing about fucking sci-fi and, science fiction in general is that it really is a lens about us. The farther we go, the more intricately we're looking at our basic elements and the things that make us us. As a kid that grew up watching the original Star Trek on a black and white TV, I have to tell you, like, it's always been that. It's always been an examination. It's so funny when people go, well, why do you have to keep social commentary at a sci-fi? I'm like, have you, do you know this guy named Asimov? Have you heard of Bradbury? Have you the people that you stand on, literally, Roddenberry is like, oh my God. It's like sometimes people will like say that about Star Trek. I'm like, have you read any of Roddenberry's writings, seen any of his statements about what he was going for? Like, if you don't like it, you can ignore that part of it. That's fine. But you can't say that it's not basically integral to the art form. So I just, I love her concepts. She's She always just has these brilliant but easily understood worlds you know like i don't like when i have to do a bunch of work and figure it out and do some math and sleep in a tree to figure out someone's story world. and yet hers are always complex but she brings you in through the human experience 
So you don't even realize it. And I just, I love that. I love when, when people can do that. And I think that when we look at like the horror directors that we love so much that are doing things that are really exciting, um, we love that they can do that for us. And we don't have to know the entire backstory of the, the villages in The Witch. We know in the first few seconds what we're dealing with and we are sucked into to, to, to that world to where we weren't there 20, we're like, watch out for the, yeah, we're, we're, mm -hmm. we're so in it. And if you look at it, it's beautifully layered and complex. And those are, that's, that's brilliance. And so I, I love to see it on the screen. I love when I get to actually meet people like her that are, you know, like, oh my God, I know you. <laughs> so, um, so that's been a really fun experience getting to see that develop and also seeing like her other projects going forward. And um, as someone like, I, I'm not a director and I'm not someone that writes kind of um, really high budget concepts. A lot of mine are very, what I would say mid to lower budget. Um, when it, cause I kind of go more for sites. I, I go for a lot of psychological. I love seeing people that can do that, that can manage huge creative teams. Because, you know, like going into making any big film, especially sci-fi, you know, you're dealing with teams and departments and concepts and you like, it's so much to manage. And I'm always enthralled by people that, it's just, they're born to it. Like, it's just, it's, I don't know, it's cool to watch up books. It's just, it's a, definitely been an honor to, to get to see how that world works. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the 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 thing that was so impressive, and you, you did touch on it, is when writing is really good, especially sci-fi writing, and you think that you're coming up with the idea yourself as the viewer. You're like, wait a minute, is this an allegory for race relations? And then that makes <laughs> it so much smarter. But when you know, when writing gets lazy and they kind of you know push that that thing in front of you it's like well this yeah, i'm turned off by this and that was the thing that i thought was so interesting uh about domesticated was you know listening to it i kind of came up with the allegory on my own you know it's like wait this is about farming oh okay cool and that made it more interesting for me um but yeah so for those that are interested please look up uh it's called domesticated you can find it everywhere i listen to it on google podcast uh episode 12 uh just dropped uh, maybe two weeks ago uh very very cool so please go check that out um now before we get on to what we do in the show and obviously we could talk to you for hours and hours and hours we love uh interesting creators that's great i'm gonna give dylan a chance to to say something <laughs> if that's okay uh pretty please dylan well, thank you, Zach. <laughs> um, I mean, you had mentioned briefly um, coming up with ideas and you let it sit. And then if the idea was still with you, you kind of jot it down and start developing it. I was curious, like, do you have a specific process when it comes from taking an idea from here to the page and then from the page to an actionable kind of like, all right, this is something I can show people. I was wondering if you could talk about your process for a little bit on that. Oh, sure. Um so if you're writing a thriller mystery etc or um you have to know how it ends before you start um especially if you kind of write twists and reveals the way i do um so sometimes an idea will come to me and it feels more and more like anaphasia like a color a feeling a song i know there's something there and it'll kind of come back and sometimes i'll kind of jot down a scene or just kind of like oh, this feels like this is around here and then if that kind of takes, 
it kind of germinates and it sprouts roots. And I see, see the, the dream of it. That's when I can write out an album. And um, de depending on the idea, I use different forms of, of outlines. Um, like a, a lot of people love Save the Cat. And I think it's really super, super helpful, especially if you're writing a feature. Um, but if you're writing an episodic, um, there's, there's, just, there's just many, many ways about going about it, about thinking about it. And I found that the idea itself tells me what structure it wants. You know, like, it's just like, no, 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 this is, this, this is it. So um, that's usually I'll base the outline on what it wants because I need it to start taking over because I, I need the characters to start talking and doing what they want to do. And that's another thing. So I have some scenes written out. I usually just put them in a file with that project's name. Might use them, might not, but they're inspiring. And, and then once I've said, all right, I'm setting time apart, I'm going to develop this, it's on. While I have my, my outline, it's not necessary to start at the beginning, unless it calls to you. Um, start writing at the points where you can just fill it in. This is where the final draft is, is super helpful because you can kind of just move those mm -hmm. cards around. I still use, <laughs> I still sometimes like actual paper because <laughs> I, I like how it feels. It feels solid, it feels real, and I can move around things and then look at it and feel it. I'll put it on the wall. It's like whatever moves you, you know, and then there's times where doing it just on the computer helps. It, it really is. What does the idea want? Um, and as I'm writing those scenes and paying attention to my structure, um, usually they, the characters will start taking over a little bit, which is awesome. So things might change, your outline might change. And then what you'll usually end up with is a very rough draft, which you will be in love with at first. And two weeks later, you'll hate that fucker. And hide it from it. You'll be like, I can't go in the office, the rough draft is in there and it can mm -hmm. see me. I don't want to compare it. And that's when I can usually give it to some of my peers for group review because they know how to read a, a rough draft. They understand that things will be overwritten. That is, and they're not really going to talk to me about dialogue. They're going to talk about like, is this, is this idea, is this a full art? Is this a full, you know, do you have a full concept here? Because sometimes you think you do and you don't. Mm -hmm. um, then I had one. Oh, I just I just I finished this uh, pilot concept, and I gave it to my one of my trusted peer reviewers. And I thought I was kind of doing this cool thing where I reveal to the audience what happened, and then they watch the characters dance around it. And she just was really honest with me about like, no, it actually you can just leave the reveal till the end of the third act. She's like. It's it's awesome. She's like it actually generates like I get what you're trying to do, but this and when she, and I and I took the, the coverage, you know, she writes the coverage and that's what she she does. So I always take hers, you know, very. So I looked at it and I came back to it a few days later. I'm like, oh my god, she's so right. Oh my, how do you not see it? It's so ridiculous. It's right in the bitch. Put it. It goes right there. Oh my god. <laughs> Like it was so obvious, she was so right. Um, but um, yeah, so that's when I'll get like the second rough draft, and that's when I can kind of show it to my agency and go, "Hey, I'm polishing this. This is still still rough. What do you think?" 
And sometimes they'll be like, hey, see if you can get that together quickly because you might be able to pitch it over here. And, and other times they're like, yeah, it's interesting. Show it to us when it's, you know, when it's ready. We kind of prefer you to finish this over here. You know, we'll just kind of chat about it. Um, but that's kind of the, the process it's kind of gone through. Um, I have, they usually have three things I'm working on at a time. Because remember, I do commissions mm -hmm. for other people. So it's usually around three. So when I get time enough to generate one of my own things, then it's, you know, like the first draft is, is always celebrated because it means that the journey has just started. The 20th draft is when you can enter it into contests and stuff. Okay. Yeah, and that's where, um, and I didn't used to know that because no one tells you. Yeah. <laughs> So um, it definitely took me a few times of not understanding why I wasn't getting past the quarterfinals and realizing that everyone that I did wasn't on their first. Group. They were like, "We can't believe you did this on your second. Like, you're amazing. Keep giving. Like, just yeah. do develop your stuff." And um, and that's kind of the hard part because you have to sometimes get rid of scenes that you're really get attached to because you you don't need them, and then you're just giving the like it's like you're giving the audience homework like. Hi, this isn't important to the story, but I like it. You, yep. My scene, I like it. You need, you take it. If they're, they're like, oh, story. No, but I like you take it because I like. It. <laughs> you can't do that. Yeah. So it's usually around the tenth draft is when you are really kind of taking out things you love, but they don't fit, or or you already said it. You don't need to tell the audience the same thing again, and. What I found that I didn't know years ago was that I will take those scenes out and I don't throw them out. I put them in usually a folder with a fun name that connects to the project. And then later I can go through them when I'm like, huh, I had a joke about, what's that joke about I had forever? That would go so good in this other thing. What the mm -hmm. fuck was that joke? <laughs> I go, oh, yeah, it's not that funny. That's <laughs> yep. in my folder. Sometimes it is, and I actually found a character that I came up with for something forever ago that I wrote for someone completely different, and I already sold them, and, and they bought it, and it's all good. And I can't, I come up with a character for that project that I ended up not using, but I, but I liked it. So I just kept it, you know, because it I wasn't a conflict of interest because I didn't use it in the commission, so it wasn't owned by anyone. It was just a random snippet I, I had, and I realized it belonged in the um i just wrote a uh half hour an animated kids show on spec and it's kind of advancing through a few different things and we'll we'll see what happens but the character fit right in there and i just i just love when that happens i love that so do people like uh like do they send you scripts to to look at and to read like are, are you are you in the peer group for other people the way that you have peer groups Oh, oh yeah, no, that's it's totally ex exchange because or, or else um, be spending a fortune on coverage every month because my agency has has development people they can give me coverage but again they have other clients I I can't just be there every week and I also need to have things at a certain point before my agent even sees it <laughs> yeah. and that's how we get there and so yeah no I actually just I just got an email this this morning from this wonderful writer. Um, that I met at the um, final draft retreat, and she's she's amazing, and she's work working on a play 
and she had given me amazing coverage on the kids thing. So, so now I'm going over her, her play because the, the great part about having a theater education is that um, you can, I have, I have, I've read so many plays in my lifetime in one acts and et cetera, and participated in festivals. So I can kind of give feedback on, on those levels too. Whereas I've never worked on a hit TV show, so I can't really give someone coverage to do that. I have to pay someone to give me coverage for that. Mm. <laughs> you know, like you have to, yeah, like you have to go with what, like you, know, you have to have real experience in it and to know what the person's going for before you can give coverage in it. So that's why writers pay for coverage and it's not a bad thing to do. Um, I tend to want to make sure that people don't know anything about me when they give me coverage. They don't know my race. They don't know my nothing. Because um, then they really just come in about the work. And it shouldn't matter, but it does affect us what we know about writers. That's why they put the writer on the, the jacket. They do. Like, that's why writers build brands and concepts. And, you know, like, so it isn't that that's wrong. It's just that. In that sense, you don't want anything to mess with it. You want it to stand on its on its own. So yeah, it's a series of trading pure notes, um, getting industry coverage, and um, if you have an agent and they they have a development part a de department working with them, unless you feel that they don't get you, in which case they probably shouldn't be your agent. But you know, like it, you know, you want to find where how is my 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 work. I'm going to get the best edits to be the best and people that get me because people that get you it's not that they won't give harsh no, not harsh notes but truthful notes people that don't get you are going to give notes that aren't helpful it's not even that they're wrong mm -hmm. that they it's it's that they're not helpful yeah, yeah. you know because they don't get you're not going to get it so yeah um, I've seen concepts that if you would pitch them to me, I would say, oh my God, that is the stupidest thing I have ever heard. And no one will ever watch that. <laughs> and yesterday I watched a movie that is called, I'm not lying, but boy, it, I will repeat it. It is called, but boy, okay. it was, I was like, I expected nothing out of it. It's on Tubi. What is, I don't even know what, like I'm watching this. I'm insane. The fucking, it's amazing. And it is about a reality where this dude shoves stuff up his butt. That's part of it. Okay, so outro first. Are you doing the outro or am I doing the outro? Why? It seemed like you started the outro. What oh, was that? hey, what was that so thing? this probably feels a little weird. Uh, we usually do the creation process this part of the show, uh, but we're having such a good uh, conversation with Kamika Hartford that it ran a little long, so we decided to break this episode into a two-parter again. Uh, so, you know, you're in the right spot. Tune in next week. We're going to have a bit more of the interview, a bit more of the creation and selection process, and then some story development based on whatever idea uh, Ms. Hartford chooses for us. And uh, in the meantime, right now, we want to thank uh, some Patreon folks. We want to thank Red Flanagan. We want to thank our East Coast friends, Sarah Tkachik, Tanya Sheck, Scott Curtis is always great, Michael Colby, most of the time, uh, Zach. Wiseman. I want to thank Zach Wiseman and uh, all of you for watching. So uh, we're going to wrap this up here, fade out and uh, be back next week. With part two of Kamika Hartford's talking upstream.
Thank you.